Hi, welcome to Diversity in the I don't even know what season it is today, but I'll figure it out. <laughs> I'm, I'm your host, Anna, and this is my co-host. And today I'm going to be going over local news. This ain't out of Detroit, but this broke my heart because I love the 70s show. So I'm going to just go briefly over this. It says, Masterson guilty of two out of three counts of rape and retrial. A jury found that 70s show star Danny Masterson guilty of two out of three counts of rape Wednesday in a Los Angeles retrial in which the Church of Scientology played a central role. They could not reach a verdict on the third count that alleged Masterson raped a longtime girlfriend. Masterson was led from the courtroom in handcuffs and will be held without bail until he is sentenced. No sentencing date has yet been set. The 47-year-old actor would face 30 years to life in prison. His wife, actor and model by Hugh Phillips, wept as he was led away. Other family and friends set stone, set stone face. After a deadlocked jury led to a mistrial in December, prosecutors retried Masterson, saying he forcibly raped three women in his Hollywood home, Hills home between 2001 and 2003. He used his prominence in the church, where all three women were also members at the time, to avoid consequences for decades. Tensions ran high in the courtroom between current and former Scientologists and even leaked into testimony with accusers saying on the stand that they felt intimidated by some members in the room. Founded in 1953 by L. Ron Huber, the Church of Scientologists had many members who worked in Hollywood. That's so crazy. That was my dog on that show. I know. He was hilarious, but not if he's out there raping. Crazy that what people do on their spare time. (laughs) Well, that church of Scientology, you know, I don't know what the, what is up with that church, but uh, I ain't gonna speak about <laughs> what I really wanted to say, but I'll keep that <laughs> to myself. Okay, Clinton Township mom charged after son found dead in the park. A 24 year old mother has been charged in connection with her son's death after the five year old boy was found dead in a park near his home. When his mother left him home alone sleeping, according to prosecutors, Derika Fleming, 24, allegedly put her son Lamar Tyrone Mitchell to bed in their Clinton Township apartment January 23rd and went upstairs to visit a neighbor. Macomb County prosecutors said in a news release the boy got out of bed, left the apartment, and was later found in a nearby park. He was pronounced dead at a local hospital. Lamar froze to death at the park said Macomb County Prosecutor's Office, spokeswoman Dawn Freelick. Fleming is charged with involuntary manslaughter, which carries a penalty up to 15 years in prison. She was arraigned Wednesday morning in 41B District Court in Clinton Township. As prosecutor in this case, we are deeply saddened by the tragic and preventable loss of a young life, Macomb County Prosecutor Pete Lacido said. The charges against Dorica Fleming reflect the gravity of a situation and the responsibility she bears in the death of her son. It is alleged that she placed her child to bed, left him un- unintended, resulting in his tragic disappearance as his discovery in a nearby park. For some reason, I just can't get that word out today. The, ev- the evidence suggests a severe breach of parental duty and neglect that led to his devastating outcome. It goes on, huh? Constantly, just, just a recurring, recurring theme in the world, huh? All right. 
like some of these parents, it's like you keep you can't just leave your child unattended. But they get mad when a lot of governments speak about a lot of things that shouldn't be done. I mean, because a lot of people is unfit to be parents. Yes. Alleged rapist arrested. Police arrested a man in connection with the rape of two different women last month in Warren, Michigan. Orlando Marshall Jr., 28, is accused of meeting these women online when taking them to an abandoned home where he would rape and rob them. The first assault took place on May 19th, where he held a woman at gunpoint and raped her. In the week of May 27th, another woman came forward saying he assaulted her after she said she met Marshall online. Police conducted surveillance on the abandoned home on Colleen Avenue on the 28th of May, where Marshall arrived with a woman, but police intervened and rescued her. Marshall fled the scene before officers were able to arrest him. He was accused on May 30th in Detroit and was arraigned. He was arrested on May 30th in Detroit and was arraigned on charges of four counts of first-degree criminal sexual conduct, along with one count each of armed robbery, assault, less the murder, assault with a dangerous weapon, possession of a firearm with a dangerous weapon, possession of a firearm by a convicted felon. Possession of ammunition by a convicted felon, felony firearm, and possession of cocaine less than 25 grams. His bond was set at 530000 cash or surety. Anyone with information regarding these incidents or other potential victims are asked to contact the Warren Police Department at 586-574-4881. And then Jamar Miller. Jamar Miller, who kidnapped Patrice Wilson, and she was found the next day in an SUV, is facing 14 charges from a previous incident. The 21st District Court announced 14 charges for Michigan State Police against Jamar Miller. These charges against the 36-year-old are from an incident that occurred on February 23rd. There is also a $1 million cash bond set for him. The charges he is facing in Taylor are controlled substance deliver manufacturing narcotic and cocaine, controlled substance delivery manufacturing of methamphetamine, controlled substance delivery of manufacturing narcotics, cocaine, 50 grams, weapons firearm by felony, two counts, weapons ammunition possession by a felon, two counts, and seven counts of felony firearms. A scheduled exam for Miller is set for June 5th. He also had a probable cause conference on May 30th in an arraignment schedule on May 17th. And then the update on the Alyssa Williams case. Isaiah Williams appeared in court where Williams attended via Zoom from his jail cell. He was heard yelling he wanted to fire his attorney, Damian Woodson, and represent himself. His case is adjourned. The attorneys agreed to postpone proceedings pending the filing of several motions. If you remember Isaiah Williams... We did him in a case. He was arraigned for murder on January 21st, 2022. After being extradited from Chicago to face allegations, he killed his infant daughter, Alyssa Williams, who has been missing since July 1982 and presumed dead. We covered this case in episode 9 of season 2. We will be keeping you updated on this case. And then Sunita Parks. Cambia Brewer had sent her two-year-old daughter, Kalisa, Kalise, to stay with her father for a couple days. Her and Kalisa's father was broken up, but the two still remained cordial for Kalise and her two-week-old sister. 
Cambia FaceTimed her daughter while she was at her father's house. She thought it was odd that when she was talking to her daughter, she didn't have a shirt on. Sunita Parks, the girl's father, always insisted for her to be fully clothed. But she really became alarmed when she had seen Sunita holding a gun behind her daughter's head. She told Sunita she was coming to get Khalees. But unfortunately, she did not make it in time. Sunita shot Khalees just above her right eye. He then turned the gun on himself, shooting himself in the chest. In a failed suicide attempt. Police were called to the scene by a resident in the apartment below when they found a bullet that was fired through the ceiling. When police responded, no one answered the door, so they kicked the door in. That's when they found Kalisa's body in a pool of blood on the bed, near Sunita's. He had a gun near his right hand. Sunita was taken to the hospital by ambulance. Kalisa was dead at the scene. During the ambulance ride, an officer rode with him, and he never asked about his daughter or even appeared to be concerned. Cambia Brewer talked to Sunita after the killing. He said somebody set him up. She also asked him if he had been on drugs. He replied he was sober when he killed Kalise. Sunita had a previous armed robbery conviction and could not legally possess a gun. They did find cocaine in Kalise's urine, but not in her blood, suggesting that it had been ingested hours, maybe a day, while she was with her father. The use of cocaine can raise body temperatures and cause aggregation. Both Kalisa and Sunita were found naked in the bed. They deemed Sunita incompetent to stand trial two times in June of 2022. In April of 2023, but he is finally ruled competent and will have a preliminary exam in Wyoming District Court. A date has not been set. That's wild. That is a wild. You drug and kill your kid. Right. And then you do it on FaceTime. The mom sees the gun. Like, I don't know why the mom wouldn't call the cops right then and there. I mean, maybe she she did and it wasn't reported on. But, I mean, if I seen a guy with a gun to my daughter's head, I'd be like, you know what? I got to go. I'm calling cops. It all comes back to the monk. It always come back to the bad apple. People be thinking and starting and having these kids with these people like these people are. And they want to give them the benefit of the doubt. It's no benefit of the doubt because if they... That type of person, obviously, they that type of person. You'll never know a, a a drug. If you got if you got any type of things with drugs going on with you or your family members, I mean, it's it's, it's all in it's all in the DNA. Yeah. If somebody's a junkie, that makes you a junkie, right? Because it's in your blood. Well, they say birds of a feather flock together. Right. So, so it'd be a lot of it'd be a lot of that. That just it's 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 insane. But I'll be riding hell whenever you do. Yeah, it's just a damn shame. Like, okay, I I hate to say this because it's very, very hateful, but you should have succeeded in committing suicide because your poor yeah. damn two year old daughter, you killed that poor baby. You killed a baby. So like there there's just no word for people like no that. because if you can do that if somebody would have harmed your kid you he's one of those type of he's one of those type of fathers that ain't gonna stand tall for their kids not gonna stand up for their kids not gonna will let anything happen to their kid because you would do that so that shows any type of signs of you're not you unfit as being a father a father is to protect their kids from the any means necessary 
if you're not gonna do that, you shouldn't be considered a father. Because if you do something to my kid, I'm supposed to do something to you. So if you don't do that, you're not a father, and then you do that to your own child. It's sacred. The kids are innocent. Yeah. They they're innocent. They can't fend for themselves. But it don't help when you don't have fathers or halfway mothers that ain't gonna defend them. Somebody gotta defend them. They can't defend themselves. It's just the world's been going crazy. What is up with all these parents killing their kids lately? I mean, it just disgusts me. We got to go back to our era. Half of them is from our era. So just imagine, I can only imagine how many people that's our age and in our age category probably had them same thoughts. Well, you know what? That's why they set up places where you take your kids if you don't want them instead of killing them. Shouldn't kill your kid. I mean, that's just the coward way out. That means you would never protect your kid. I'm going to protect my kids from any means necessary. People who want to hurt their kids should just take the gun out, pull it on themselves, and kill themselves because them kids are innocent. They didn't do nothing. They didn't ask to be here. Stop killing these babies. And some of those kids probably done been something that happened to them, and they probably tried to tell their parents, and they don't want to stand tall for them. So, but then they can be considered a parent. You shouldn't be considered a parent. No. Because the police ain't going to do your job. That's your job. The police didn't have your kids. You did. Right, and that's a responsibility of having a kid anyways. <laughs> right, you have to. Especially for a man and for you to do that to your own child. But I can, I can, a thousand times, out of a thousand times, guarantee you if something else would have happened to that child, he wasn't going to do nothing about it. They comes in many forms and different shapes. They better read the Bible. Sickening. It's so sad. Rest in peace to that baby. You know, he rot and get everything that God's going to give to him. Because he got to meet the maker. Mm-hmm. Okay, so we're going to go on. And I'm very, very familiar with this street right here. The Hazelwood Massacre. Largest mass murder. On June 14, 1971, the wife of Robert Gardner came home to her apartment on 1970. Oh, that's crazy. On 1970, Hazelwood Street in Detroit, where she found her husband was shot. She, when she found her husband was shot, she rushed him to Henry Ford Hospital, where she told staff. There's a bloodbath in the house, and you better send some some police. Police arrived at the home. They had received calls from neighbors who heard shots. When they entered the home, they found seven victims dead at the scene. Catherine Lewis, 19. Narissa Lee. T.C. Brown, 19. Sharon Brown, 20. Catherine Betty Basser, 22. Ramondale Burton, 24. Carl Carlton, Carl Carrington, Mount Jr., 27. Lloyd Taboo Taylor, 27. They are they are shot in the head at close range by three different weapons. A 30 caliber, a 32 caliber, 
and a 45 caliber automatic. Three of the women had their hands tied in the front with rubber surgical turbans. One of the women's arms were were wrapped around another's, another's waist. They found all the bodies in the living room. Two of the men appeared to be sitting on the floor and their head and their heads fell into the fireplace after being shot. Another was leaning against was leaning against the couch. Three of three of the women were on the couch and one was near the couch. The eighth victim, Robert Gardner, died from his wounds six days later on June twentieth. He was shot in the mouth, the chest, stomach. Police think he was shot when he answered the door. Three other people in the apartment, two women and a man, escaped by breaking through breaking through a rear window of a sun of a sun porch and running down an alley. They came to police headquarters afterwards. Four men were seen fleeing the home wearing windbreakers and rim windbreakers and Tom O'Shanter hats. Tom O'Shanter hats. A Tom O'Shanter hat is a is a is a Scottish bonnet wore about men and women. The police found eleven guns. None were recently fired. Police also found found pockets of packets of heroin and paraphernalia. A total of 673 in cash was found on the victims. Four of the seven victims killed had records for narcotics possession. One of the victims had multiple felonies conviction. Vera Gibson lived with her husband and children in the apartment directly upstairs. Described the gardeners as a pleasant couple. In the days of the following shooting, the police, the police... Theorized. Theorized. Someone had been sold fake heroin by Gardner. In return for revenge, and all and all other seven victims were just in the wrong place at the wrong time. This was supported by discover by discovering the heroin found was a mixture of milk, sugar, milk, sugar, and quinine. Quinine. They also found out Gardner may have robbed drug dealers, and Gardner was a pimp and a drug dealer. Wow. Police discovered Gardner that Gerald Williams, an associate of the Gardners, told the gunman where to find Gardner. Williams had been supplying heroin to dealers in Toronto, but the dealer were angry that they found out he was he was dealing the heroin. So Gardner took over supplying to to the to the dealers but he was also diluting the drugs the toronto the toronto dealer came to detroit in search for new sources in march gardner learned of a plan and kidnapped the dealers and representatives to get in representatives to gain access to most to a motel where 
the dealers were saying that when Gardner and the accomplice robbed the dealers for thirteen thousand in cash, four thousand in jewelry, and three to four thousand dollars in cocaine, he had he had released he had he had pleased the dealer and they represented his brother than killing them. In retaliation, the dealers hired a gunman to kill Gardner. He got wind of their plans and moved around, and the family ended up on Hazelwood. While moving around, moving around, he was lured back to Detroit by Williams, saying that he had he had profitable drug deals. No one has ever been arrested, and the case remains open. The time the massacre occurred, it was the biggest. It was the biggest mass slaying in Detroit's history. That that year, Detroit's death toll from 1971 was 690. During the 1970s, Detroit led the nation in homicides and became known as the murder city. Rest in peace to all those people that lost their life. Yeah, that's crazy. So basically, the cops think that he was backdoored by an associate that was dealing drugs to th- these Toronto dealers. But his associate, the Toronto dealers, didn't like him because they were he, they thought he was eluding the drugs. He so. was he was stepping on it. He was stepping. He was getting the drugs. He was stepping on it, making fake. He was taking the real and serving it to somebody else, and then he was stepping on the rest and giving it to the to the city. And the city like, okay, that's that's a lot of games that a lot of people play. That's the game you don't want to play. Right, especially dealing with dealers and stuff like that. Yeah, because you don't know every every dealer got a every, every dealer got. A, Hitchmen all around. That's their job. Their job ain't to touch dope, ain't to get no money off the dope. Their job is to be enforcers. And then they go and rob the dealers. Yeah. When they come to Detroit. Yeah, you and I mean, like, <laughs> yeah, you rob them for, for drugs, money, and jewelry. Now nah, that's a that's a perfect insult. And then he just lets them go. Like mm-hmm. they're not gonna retaliate. They're in Detroit to retaliate against you, but you rob them because you get a heads up. And then you just let them go. Like they're not going to retaliate again. They from a whole other country. That's the whole damn thing. Like you, you, you tripping. Right. Just because they're from Toronto, don't mean they're soft. I mean, oh, they're drug dealers. Canada get better. Canada get bad too. It's crazy. Okay, now that we're on massacres today, I'm going to do the Rock Road Massacre. Robert Lee Haggard was born in 1950 and grew up in Rosebush, Michigan. He attended Mount Pleasant High School and in 1968 when he turned 18 years old enlisted in the Army, where he qualified as a sharpshooter and served in Germany and Vietnam. After he was discharged from the Army, he returned to his hometown where he worked on farms, sold livestock feed, was a livestock auctioneer. He had a rep as a heavy drinker and a man with an eye for the ladies. In 1974, Robert was charged with rape of a 14-year-old girl that he had sexually Sexual relationships would, after being both of him and the girl were drinking at a wedding reception. He was sentenced to three years of probation after taking a plea. Shortly after another woman had accused Robert of attacking her, and he was sentenced to two years and ten months for probation violations. After spending two years, he was released on parole in June of 1977 and returned home. In the summer of 1977, Robert went to a chow house where he was a regular, he met Garnetta, a waitress there. They started dating and she became pregnant, but she had an abortion and Robert was angry. 
till they stopped seeing each other for some time. But in 1980, the two reconnected. Robert moved in with Garnetta, and they married in February of 1981. The relationship was troubled. They argued. Robert was spending a lot of time at bars, and there was financial troubles. One day, Garnetta showed up to work with bruises on her face from a beating by Robert. In 1981, Garnetta filed for divorce and moved in with her mother. In July of 1981 and in August of 1981, a warrant was issued for Robert for writing a bad check. Robert fled the area and moved to Haletown, Tennessee, and began dating a 23-year-old pizzeria cook, Linda Thomas. Robert had to head back to Michigan to finalize the divorce with Garnetta on February 17, 1982. So he left on the on February 15th from Haletown to Michigan. On the 16th of February, the Post family held a reunion with Garnetta at the family's farmhouse in Clare County, Michigan. Robert showed up at the reunion and showed shot Garnetta's father, stepfather, George W. Post, who was 53 years old, at the base of the staircase in the basement of the farmhouse. Then he had seen Garnetta's stepsister, Helen Gaffney, who was 29 and was there with her four kids. When Helen tried to flee with her kids to a pickup truck, Robert opened fire on the truck using a shotgun and a handgun. They found Helen slumped over the bodies of her three kids ages 10 to 7 years old. The fourth child, Amanda, was 15 months old and found alive. Her mother pushed her to the floor of the truck out of harm's way. Robert then waited till he seen Garnetta, who was 23. While waiting, he used fresh snow to cover up the blood on the ground beneath the truck. Garnetta finally arrived with her mom, 42-year-old Baudry. He shot Garnetta and her mom as they entered the home into the kitchen. Alice Russell, her husband, and their two children arrived at 6.30. The murders happened between 5 and 6. The house was dark. The family's dogs were out front guarding the home. The Russells walked in and discovered the bodies of Garnetta and her mom on a bloody floor after turning on the light. The Russells ran to a neighbor's home, and the neighbor went to the post farm, then called the sheriffs. Robert was arrested on Thursday, February 18th in Tennessee when his roommate read about the murders and recognized the Buick Robert was driving, which belonged to Garnetta's mom, and called the police. Police set up a roadblock. Robert tried to turn around when he seen it but police blocked his way with their cars. Robert had a loaded 38 caliber by his feet and didn't resist. He was flown back to Michigan on February 20th. He was tried on September of 1982 and on October 8th, he was found guilty of first degree murder and six of the deaths. He was found guilty of second degree murder of seven year old Tom and also found guilty of attempted murder of Amanda Gaffney. On October 22nd, he was sentenced to serve seven life sentences plus 32 years. This was the worst mass murder in Michigan since June of 1971 and the first homicide in Clare County since 1979. Decades later, DNA found on the body of Doris Arndt, who was found raped and strangled in October of 1977, came back to Robert, but he was never charged. It was a sick summon for something. <laughs> right. How are you going to take out a whole damn family because you're getting divorced? She was a sick son or something. Especially little kids. Like, I don't know what is up with people in these 
Like, but them seven life sentences plus thirty-two million years out, and I mean, I'm. They need to bring the. They need to bring the death penalty back. That's just taking. That's just taking up space. By killing these kids, these mass murderers, they just need to be put down. I'm not God. I'm not saying people need to do God work, but I mean, with that type of thing, you get that's just taking up. That's taking up all of us people. You guys that's out here listening, that's taking up all of our dollars. Just having these people just sit for all these years, taking up our taxpayer money, but they can sit where they should be somewhere else. Yeah, you I commit agree. the crime, the, the the heinous crime that you did. You shall and you should pay the same way that you put it out. You always supposed to get in yay. What you dish out, get it back. All right. I agree with you all the way on that one. Well, on that note, happy Sunday to everybody. We want to thank all of our listeners. Don't forget to subscribe, follow, like, and comment. And also remember, we are available on the following platforms. Amazon Music. Spotify, Google Podcasts, and YouTube. Our Facebook page is Diversity in the D. Our email is D-I-E-B-E-R-C-I-T-Y-I-N-T-H-E-D at gmail.com. And especially want to give a big shout out to my neighbors for listening to our podcast. Appreciate y'all. And we will be back on Tuesday. Bye.